back to the Mel K show. I have been for a long time wanting to speak to our guest today. He is a very brave whistleblower who has been treated terribly by uh, the powers that be that seem to be uh, controlling the demolition of the United States from a fifth column. And I am honored to welcome Garrett O'Boyle to the show today. Thank you for joining me, sir. Thank you, Mel. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to keep talking about my story and what's happened. And I know for a lot of people, they, they may not remember or even know who I am already. So yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me. That's why I said immediately, I said, we got to get Garrett O'Boyle on the show because people are not uh, aware fully of his story and it's getting more and more relevant every day as we watch our agencies uh, become totally rogue. So first and foremost, tell our audience about your background and then we'll get into uh, your story and a little bit about what's going on and how it's affecting our nation. Yeah, for sure. So uh, if you do know who I am, you you probably know me as an FBI whistleblower. I was a special agent in the FBI. I was hired in 2018, and uh, I testified in front of Congress uh, in May, on May 18th of 2023, with Steve Friend and Marcus Allen, two other brave patriots and FBI whistleblowers, who I now have the honor to uh, call my friends and, and brothers, to be honest. Uh, but before all that, I you may you may be able to tell in my voice I I'm a northerner by by uh, birth. I'm from Wisconsin, and uh, that is is where we ended up uh, landing once I got suspended because uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into it. But the FBI basically rendered us homeless in the middle of a transfer, and um, we had we really had nowhere else to go because we had sold our house at my first duty station in Kansas, and then. Uh, we were not we had not yet closed on the house in Virginia. Uh, and we, we are now learning that 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 was all intentional, uh, which we can get into as well. But um, which I, I believe that from the start. Um, but but yeah, born and raised in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. Um, I've got two brothers, uh, one, my twin, and one about 13 months older, who I actually was just talking to today on the phone for a little bit. But um, but yeah, we we uh, were born and raised here. And then I would say 9-11, like a lot of people from my generation, was a big turning point for me and kind of solidified uh, the the road that I ended up on. And I was a freshman in high school when that happened. Yeah. Uh, but immediately I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And I, I ended up, once I finished high school, I ended up enlisting in the Army as an infantryman. I did that for six years, deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, probably my my biggest accolade that I'm most proud of is is the combat infantryman's badge, which is awarded to infantrymen who face our nation's enemies in ground combat. And uh, after six years of, of doing the, the army thing, I got out of the army, came back home and went to school for criminal justice. I was hired uh, by a police department here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Your, some of your listeners may know may, may know that city because a couple of years ago there was a, a crazed maniac who drove through the Christmas parade and um so Waukesha kind of came to prominence for a little while uh with that case and I was a police officer for about four years there and in the meantime I finished up my bachelor's degree at Marquette University in downtown Milwaukee I graduated cum laude that just simply means with honors uh, from there. And shortly after I graduated, I was still a police officer, but that's when I applied to the FBI. And fast forward about a year after my application, 
I was hired as a special agent off to Quantico. I went and after the five months of training there, I was assigned to the Kansas City Division down in the Wichita Resident Agency. And after about two years of being there, I tried out for the SWAT team. I was selected for that. And then fast forward another year and a half or two years or so, I tried out for another unit, um, which was in the Quantico area. And that is kind of where, where things started to go off the rails uh, for me and kind of the weaponization I faced from the FBI during that transfer. Yeah. Um, you uh, also, you are a whistleblower and you have not been afforded the protection at all of a whistleblower <laughs> because apparently we have a fourth branch of government functioning post uh, the Patriot Act that is yep. uh, totally has no oversight and they're not treating their whistleblowers uh, that are actually trying to help the American people and live up to their oath as you have uh, in any way, shape or form as heroes as you are. So let's talk about what happened and when you decided that it was time to uh, that your oath was being compromised and you had to do the right thing. For sure. Yeah. So I, I know I kind of glossed over that and just the little Reader's Digest oh, version good, of yeah. how, how we got here. So people but, know um, that you're just a normal guy with a family that's trying to do the right thing and has yeah. patriotism in their heart. And, and you know, this is how you got where you got, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, much to my chagrin, I thought uh, the oath I took numerous times to this nation and its constitution actually meant something. But uh, shame on me for that, apparently. And um, and yeah, that's uh, that's man, it's. It, it really is so frustrating just uh, to get to this point where here I am, an FBI agent, essentially serving my nation, I guess my nation and community my whole adult life, yep. and and getting to a point where it's like, okay, this agency I work for that has been put up on this pedestal my entire life. You know, when I was a police officer, heck, even when I was a kid, right. I thought I thought the FBI, that's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle of law enforcement. And then as an adult, as a cop, I'm like, yeah, you know, if I if I don't apply, I'll never know if I have what it takes to become, you know, a, a lauded FBI agent. And I believed this myth, mm -hmm. like most people have. And so then I get in into the FBI, and it didn't take long for me to realize, like, oh, things are are not what they seem. And the FBI claims to have you know rigorous obedience to the Constitution, but I didn't see that. I mean, certainly there were people and aspects of it that I where I did see those things. But I mean, almost straight out of the gates, one of the very first cases I had, there were issues. Uh, even at one point, my boss was telling me to do something and, and during a meeting. And I, I I go to her later with some case law, some some Supreme Court case law. And I was like, man, I'm pretty sure that's a Fourth Amendment violation, what you what you just told us to do in this meeting. And I don't know if it in that instance, if it was negligence, if it was intentional, if she just simply did just didn't know, because at that point she said, okay, don't, don't do that. But in, in, in my mind, I'm thinking, how do you not know this? This is right. simple, basic constitutional uh, protections that people are supposed to be afforded in this nation. So it was very early on where I started to question some of the direction of the FBI. And then fast forward, maybe two years or so, uh, it what really kind of removed the scales from my eyes was the uh, the COVID nineteen vaccine mandate that came down, and just being a police officer, being an FBI agent, having you know a handful of constitutional law courses, and then application of it as a law enforcement officer, it was very clear to me like a government in the alleged land of the free 
can't mandate something for you to put into your body. And uh, it was at that point where I would raise concerns to my chain of command. And I, I always was told, you know, Garrett, you bring up a lot of really good points. I wrote like a 15 page constitutional memo about, wow. uh, about it. And this was one of my very first protected disclosures. Obviously it fell on deaf ears, even though I found out later that my, my own direct supervisor was sending it around the bureau. And he told me to my face, like, this is, this has a potential to make a lasting impact. Obviously the only thing it did was paint a bigger target on my back. Yeah. And and then it was like other things that started to come up then and where once those scales fell from my eyes, it was like, oh, this in, this institution is actually not interested in protecting your constitutional rights or even the, the rights of its own employees. They're just simply there to do what they're told. And th that's hugely problematic for anybody who's sworn an oath to the Constitution and who believes in freedom to any degree. And I think especially in an agency like the FBI where you have a gun. You have yep. the authority and the power to take people's lives if you must, but you're not going to follow the simple constitutional civil rights, you know, um, supreme, you know, law, basically supreme law of our land. You're going to just cast it aside because headquarters told you to. That's unacceptable. Right. And and so it was in in uh, mid to late 2021 because it was September when that vaccine mandate came down. And then it was other things, other cases I had worked on where I was realizing, like, you know what? A lot of this stuff is corrupt and wrong and needs to be, the, the people of America need to be made aware of it. So yeah. as these things continued to fall on deaf ears to, of my superiors, eventually I was like, okay, uh, I'm going to go to Congress. So at the time, um, every federal employee had to take a mandatory whistleblower training every single year. And in the FBI, uh, I had just taken that training. I had taken copious notes with it because I, right. I basically was thinking in my head, I think I'm going to go to Congress because all of this is falling on, on deaf ears. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And I, I had those notes from that training to do it in the right way, Yep. which I did. So I go to Congress and I, I bring some of these concerns to them and they tell me, yeah, we, you know, we want to help. And it was sort of a, an, a revolving door of, or a little bit of back and forth between me and my congressman. And this was probably November of 21 through, I don't know, early February, March of, of 22. And eventually I realized my local congressman, his name is back then. This is when I lived in Kansas. It was Ron Estes. Um, I've, I've since learned that he's like most politicians, just a typical rhino, typical, not really wanting to help, not really wanting to be concerned with a whistleblower even though his his office and staff told me they were, uh, right. they did nothing to assist. And so at that point, it's when I started trying to contact other Congress people. And eventually, I was able to get in touch with Congressman Jim Jordan's office. And then that's where I started to provide the same protected disclosures I had made to Ron Estes and then um, additional ones, which that went on for about 10 months or so, roughly. Uh -huh. And um, it wasn't like every day, like, right. oh, I'm going to I'm going to tattle on my boss. It yes. was things that could be because a, a whistleblower to be protected, you have to have a reasonable, reasonable belief of some type of wrongdoing. And there's five major categories of wrongdoing. And you know, I don't know them off the top of my head anymore, but uh, they include like um, abuse of authority. So all mm -hmm. the ones all of the protected disclosures I made at least were my reasonable belief was that there was an abuse of authority. 
Right. And some of them I can't talk about at the direction of my lawyers, but right. some of them I can because some of them were leaked. Some of them we discussed when I testified. And so, you know, there are a number of things I brought forward. And again, much to my chagrin, I, I do this with, you know, uh, full belief thinking, well, I'm doing it in the legal correct way as a, as a federal employee is allowed to do. And I'm being told by, by Congress, like, well, yeah, you, you're obviously you are a protected whistleblower. You're making protected disclosures. And so, you know, you're going to be fine. Right. Well, in the meantime, you know, my career is progressing. Um, this is another thing I love. Uh, if people go look me up and you look at like the New York times or Rolling Stone or CNN or some of the, these mainstream places, they're going to call me a malcontent and a disgruntled employee and all this stuff. That's so sick. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't be further from the truth because in my first year I received the highest yearly evaluation that an employee can receive. Uh, I, or I received, I'm, I'm an award-winning FBI agent. How do you like that? See I, that? You know, I, and it's like, they're not going to talk about those things. And then, you know, like I mentioned, I tried out for and was selected for the SWAT team. And, you know, so my career is progressing along and this opportunity comes up for this new unit that the FBI is establishing in the Quantico region. You had to go try out for that as well. Even to be allowed to come try out, you had to essentially write like an essay as to why you think you'd be a good fit and some of the experience that you have as an FBI agent as to why they should even consider you. And so I, I do this, I go, I end up going there to try out. It was like a three-day selection process. Not everybody gets picked. Right. I get selected for that unit too. And, and so again, it's just to say like, like I'm not saying I'm the best no, FBI agent. No, but you're agent passing before. all of these tests from the inside. Right. So obviously right. they're looking at you, they're checking you out, you're, you're checking all the boxes of what they need for these special units. That means that, yep. you know, at that point, you've been through the ringer multiple times. Nothing, nothing's exactly. coming up. And so continue because it's so crazy how things turned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it really is. And so uh, thanks, Mel, for just letting me go. You know, I, I don't always get go the ahead. opportunity to just keep going. So I appreciate it. And uh, so, yeah, I, I get selected for this this new unit. And at the time, my wife was pregnant and it ended up being another girl. So we have four daughters and uh, we didn't know that at the time. We always do the surprise thing. But um, I go, I try out. Uh, they eventually they tell me they want to select me and we're like, oh, we got this baby coming. And it was like, if I would have accepted right then, it would have we would have had to move like right when this baby was due. And and they're like, you know what, we'll work with you. We'll work with you. And I'm like, OK, you know what? I, I don't I really don't want to pass up this opportunity. We're going to accept. And so now fast forward into like, I don't know, August of 22. We sell our house FBI. So for people who don't know. When you're a federal employee and you're in the middle of a of a work-related transfer, the federal government is intimately involved with every aspect of it because there's, you know, talk, they, they got to reimburse you for certain things. There's even a program where they help you sell your house. There's all sorts of stuff they're involved with. They send, you know, they contract a mover and a truck to come and pack up your stuff and take it to the new place, like all this stuff. So they're intimately involved. My, my receiving unit in Quantico, that chain of command is involved. My exiting chain of command in Kansas city, they're involved. Like everybody knows, everybody also knows that my wife is pregnant by the way. Right. And because now we have FMLA leave and all the, all of this stuff working in, in unison. Right. And so we sell our house in August, we move into first into a hotel and then into an Airbnb where we were for like a month. And our youngest daughter, Lucy was born in that time. And we stayed at that Airbnb for like another week. Uh, this is early September now. 
we pack up out of there the little bit of belongings we did have. So in, in southern Kansas, in, in early September and in mid to late August, it's hot. It's still very hot. It's summertime. Right. And so, you know, we knew we were going to come to Wisconsin to visit because we were transferring to Virginia. And we didn't tell our family then. It doesn't matter now. But we were like, once we get to Virginia, we're going to settle in. And we're probably not coming back for the holidays this year just because of the new baby, the new move, the new job, all this stuff. Right. And so we're like, all right, we're going to go visit. It's going to be great. We're going to have the Lucy. And we have summer clothes because even in Wisconsin in early September, it's still summer enough, you know? Right. And so we come, we come here, we're here for a week. And then I'm in touch with my new chain of command throughout this time. And I, I, I'm talking to my boss and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to come you know, uh, on, on Monday and I'll, I'm going to report on Monday and I'm going to spend the week there just to kind of settle in. Then I'm going to come back to Wisconsin and grab my family, go back to Virginia and we're going to close on our house. And he's like, okay, sounds good. You know, I don't really have a lot for you to do uh, right now, but, um, but yeah, if you, if you plan on coming in on, on Monday, uh, that's fine. And, you know, we'll, we'll see you when you get here. And I'm, so I'm thinking at that time, like I'm, I'm not aware of what's about to happen. And so I, I take my one, of my one of our personal vehicles down there and I drive. I drive the whole way from Milwaukee to Quantico on a Sunday. You know, I just I have this two week old baby at home and well, in Wisconsin and because um, we didn't have a home. Right. So I get there Sunday night. I show up to my new unit Monday morning and I get escorted into a side room where I'm and I encounter two people who I assume are FBI agents, but they never identified themselves. And they just started asking me questions. And they're primarily focusing on things that I had whistleblown about and accusing me that I was leaking those things to the media. And I said, Nope, I never leaked anything to the media. I have been going to Congress. And in my head, I'm thinking they probably know this all already, right? I'm sure they do. But they're going to accuse me anyways. And uh, obviously, at that point, there's nothing I could have done or said that would have changed their mind. And uh, essentially, it, it it boiled down to them basically reading me the riot act, seizing my gun, uh, taking my badge, taking my work cell phone, taking my my access badge, take taking everything. You know. Oh my god. Yeah, and uh, I had a personal holster, and so when I was taking my gun out, like I was like, I don't want these guys to shoot me. You know. Yeah. And like, so I'm doing it very slowly and methodically. I'm about to go to unload it. And this FBI, I think he's an FBI agent. He just grabs my arm. And I'm thinking, dude, like, you're such a fool. One, you're only escalating things here. And two, if I meant some type of evil on you, it would have happened an hour ago when you when you left me with my gun on my hip. Right. And like, I don't know why that's one of those things that really stands out to me, because these guys. So these were two other FBI agents that they brought in to, like, seize my belongings. And it's like. You, you're just doing what you're told. You have no context to what has happened here. Right. Yet you're going to treat me as if I am the bad guy that they told you I was. And it, none of it is true, of course. So ever since then, I've believed and I, and I really have known that this was evil, insidious from the start. And I, I couldn't be convinced otherwise of that. Well, fast forward now to just this past November some other whistleblower. I don't know who this person is. I've never talked to them. I, I have talked to their attorney. And their attorney told me, you never worked with this person. Your paths never crossed. But 
they had knowledge about your case because they were assigned to it oh, right? wow. internal okay. investigation. And so this whistleblower comes forward and says, yeah, the FBI knew that Garrett O'Boyle didn't ever leak anything to the media. They knew that, but they lured him to Virginia anyways to financially devastate him. <gasps> and oh, it's God. like, well, it's like, yep, I've known that all along. And I mean, there's more to that, too. So and, they and were retaliating against you from the highest 100%, level. 100%. 100%. Yep. What were they and so the, scared of? Um, I, I don't know. I wish I knew. So all of these people involved with what happened to me and my family, I never even met any of them that I know of. Of course, the FBI won't even give me names of who made the allegation in the first place. I have my theories about that, but uh, uh, I, I so I don't know. I, I think it boils down to uh, in the FBI, there's this huge misnomer of protecting the FBI. And right. I said it when I testified. I didn't make an oath to, to the FBI. I, I swore an oath to the Constitution. And I meant that. Right. And I still mean that. Because when the FBI is going against the Constitution, your oath to the Constitution has to be first. Yeah, that's and that's how it's supposed to be. But what we're seeing here is that you became a threat to them. This is what we're dealing with. I think at this point, I've been talking a lot about post-Patriot uh, Act. It appears that a fourth branch of the government was started through the DHS, TSA, DNI, all this. And the DOJ has a national security division that was put in under Obama and Holder. And it appears that this is full surveillance on anyone, including FBI agents, cops, you know, people that are on the inside. And you really don't know about it. It's totally clandestine. There's no, you know, they, I don't even think they have to get warrants and stuff. So this whole time that you are a whistleblower and you're going to Congress and stuff, they were investigating you at the same time. And you did, did, did not know this and continuing to play along and have you come down, do the whole trial training. So they were collecting through that whole time. And this started with you thinking that the uh, vaccine mandates were unconstitutional, which they are, and they were, mm -hmm. and you actually just doing the, the heavy lifting of laying it out for your superiors at the time that, you know, we're breaking, this is, this is violating the constitutional rights of the people. And that started a cycle of you becoming somebody that they needed to silence, it seems. So we all agreed that we were gonna get in shape for 2024. We were going to be healthy and we were gonna get into our fitness routine and we were gonna eat better. And guess what? It's easier said than done like we didn't know. But what's awesome is that I've teamed up with these awesome people over at Field of Greens. You know, when I get something new in the mail, I think, well, okay, I'm gonna try it. And I was shocked, first and foremost, because it tastes awesome. Not only that, they have proprietary blends picked by doctors that actually target specific areas that you might have concerns about. So whether it's your lungs, your kidney, your heart, if it's metabolism, weight loss, energy, Field of Greens has a proprietary blend exactly for what you are looking for. Field of Greens has a promise. They promise you your money back if you are not fully satisfied and feel that Field of Greens is improving your health and your wellness all around. Field of Greens is made in America, straight from Texas. They give you a 60-day money-back guarantee, and they are helping Mel Kay and the Mel Kay Show going forward on our journey to health and wellness, as well as yours. So go to fieldofgreens.com, use the code Mel Kay right now, and you'll get 15% off your first order and be well on your way to your journey of wellness. I am so grateful to my new sponsor, Field of Greens. Absolutely. That's what it seems like to me. That's what I think happened. And 
and that's i mean also to this this latest whistleblower they they reported that uh the fbi was targeting people like me who were christian who were and it doesn't it doesn't matter their denomination military, military which i am a vet we talked about okay. earlier yeah uh and and um people who dissented from the vaccine and it's like well i i check all those boxes so it's like no wonder they came for me and i think it goes to further show how uh corrupt especially like the headquarters elements of the fbi are i think it's pervasive throughout the whole bureau yeah but it it definitely has captured the headquarter elements yeah. because in the fbi it's it's called the security division their headquarters element they're the ones who were investigating me they were the ones who knew that i didn't do what they claimed i did yet they still lured me and my family to virginia to in the whistleblower's own words, financially devastate him. Yeah. Lawfare. And, yeah. Yep. They yep. coming at you from every angle. They also leaked information, false information to their controlled intel media to, to slam you too. You're just a guy who has a small, you know, a young family with four kids that is trying to do the right thing. And this is, but I think that what you're talking about is an even bigger problem because there was a, a um, obvious and strategic, as we've heard from many people over the last few years, purge of people that happen to be white Christian men that are, uh, you know, real patriots that served or, or were in the um, or in the, the law enforcement. Um, this is a lot of these things came out of if you look at the January 6 people that were arrested, I mean, an un unbelievable number of them happen to also fit your profile. So the right. question then comes there, are they it appears that um, they're purging specific people because I'm sure you know, um, we've we've talked about it here a lot on the show, Newsweek had leaked, you know, they, they get the information, they work with them, uh, that <laughs> yes. there's a new division in the, uh, in the FBI that is anti-authority, anti-government, focused on domestic terrorists. And I guess they needed to purge anyone that would, you know, uh, fight back against uh, violations to the Constitution um, before they started going after the people. They needed to get rid of the people inside that would have a problem with that, that weren't following orders, uh, you know, without question. Exactly. And so, yeah, what you're talking about is uh, is agave. It's like A-A-G-A-V-E. It's an anti or I forget. It's the acronym is agave. It's anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremism. Right. It falls under the FBI's domestic terrorism program. Right. And you're you're absolutely right. And two, Mel, this is all we have to do is look back at history. Every single totalitarian regime, yep. this is how it starts. You have to purge government first. And that's what they do. One of my favorite things I love to talk about, it was very impactful for me. Every new employee in the FBI, when you're at Quantico, you have to go on a mandatory field trip to the Holocaust Memorial Museum yep. in Washington, D.C. It's very powerful. And like it actually meant something to me. The director of the FBI speaks to you at the end. And the whole point of the trip is to not forget the history, is to not forget the past, to not forget what totalitarian regimes can do. And you now, especially for, I think, FBI agents, we're about to hand you a gun and a badge in a few more months and send you off into the world. Don't forget this trip yeah. because you don't want to repeat this history. Yeah. But then you get out into the field and they expect you just to roll over and simply follow orders. Right. And Eichmann in Jerusalem, the banality of evil. Uh, don't you know, right. yep. uh, they were just following orders. What they're trying to tell you is don't just yep. follow orders, do what's right. And there you did that. 
Yeah. And then you, you pay the man for it. And, and, you know, people always say, Oh, how dare you compare it to Nazi Germany? Okay. Well, let's go back in history a little bit further to the early 1930s. By 1933, it was required that you be a Nazi part of the Nazi party to be a law enforcement officer in Bavaria. And so this stuff doesn't happen overnight. 1945, when, when American and British forces were discovering concentration camps, that didn't happen overnight. But guess what happened with those law enforcement officers in 1932 and 33? They probably, like FBI agents today, well, I'm not a Nazi, really, but you know, I've got five years to go until I can retire. I've got a family to feed. I like my job. I like my career. It's the same excuses that mankind has given throughout history. And yeah. it's what's happening in the FBI today. And it's it's just as problematic because now if you don't toe the line of the government as God, which it's, I roll it all into one. It's LGBTQ plus and all woke ideology and government and quote unquote science all wrapped into this false God. And if you don't worship and bow down at the altar of this false God, which is headed by government, you will be dealt with and you will be cast out. And you know what? Quite frankly, fine. Like if that's what it takes, fine. Well, the problem is that people don't know history. And I I wrote a screenplay actually 20 years ago about Eichmann in Jerusalem and that whole case. And I looked into a lot of what happened in the 30s. And very early in the COVID, I was like, does anyone know about typhus and how they started to move people yes. into ghettos and that Auschwitz was a quarantine camp? And, yep. and and again and again, there are, you, it's, for anyone, to, but that's what's happening. I, I've been a target of the ADL and many other people have been. They work with, they are the ones that facilitate that trip to the Holocaust mm -hmm. Museum. Yeah, they are. They're yep. the ones that, do, and the Southern Poverty Law Center who decide who is hate speech, <laughs> what who to censor like me, whatever. And then if you go look, it's totally one-sided. They're operatives. And um, this, like I said, what's happened is the American people have to understand we have an unconstitutional fourth branch of the government right now. And that is who is overseeing a lot of this stuff. And there is no oversight. There is no one to stop them at this point. And it was up to you as a whistleblower to do the right thing. You actually did learn the lesson of the Holocaust Museum. You were supposed to learn. Uh, it's just that the opposite was true. And there and right. what you're saying is very true, too, because I, I once did a show with a survivor and we were talking about how, you know, people always talk about the six million people that died in, in the camps. Very few people talk about the million Germans that work there, you know, and right. went home at the end of the day to, to, with yep. their families and stuff or all the Germans that said they didn't know, but had to have a main conf in their house. So yep, it's just exactly. not knowing history. And the same history is can, can be said pretty much in the same way about Mao's China. So again, we are repeating something that you actually knew the history of and was watching it and looking at it as an American citizen, a, a law enforcement officer, a veteran, and saying, I'm not going to let this happen in our country. And look at what happened to you. They've totally uh, taken everything you had, wiped you out financially. They're still going after you. And the truth of the matter is you were the you were the good guy in this situation, but it's not a movie and it feels like a movie. And, and this is real in real life. And that's why people have to understand that you um you took a you didn't think you were taking a risk. You actually thought you no. were helping. <laughs> that's right. I did. Yeah. I thought, hey, I'm doing this the right way. Uh, I mean, if they want to come after me, they can try. But what are they going to do? Well, I learned in my in my own ignorance, I guess, or hubris, maybe even right that they literally just do whatever they want. Yeah. And when the government gets to that point, you know, people will call it the deep state or whatever. What you're saying about it being like a fourth branch of government, that I think is a lot more accurate, a lot more 
close to the truth, closer to the truth. That's really what it is. It's this bureaucratic fourth branch that is really running roughshod over all the government. Obviously, right. I'm dealing with it firsthand and seeing yes. it because te uh, technically I'm technically still an FBI employee, they say. And so I'm supposed to abide by all their rules, which includes keep not you making under more than... control. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. they're not paying you. They've immediately stopped no. paying you, correct? Not paying me. They've canceled so... our insurance. They've hit oh, me with no. a number of bills uh, like j just this week. They hit me with a with an insurance bill because they weren't taking insurance insurance payments out of my paycheck because I'm not getting a paycheck. And then they said, oh, we're also canceling your insurance. And then uh, they hit me with a tax bill for the transfer to Virginia. And it's like, how can you hit me with these oh bills, God. even though like none of this stuff even happened? And yeah. then they say, you can't accept charity. You can't get employment. I and know, it's I like, heard. And, and uh, the craziest part about this is how all of America, at least the, the 80 million people that are now considered domestic terrorists because they love America and they love uh, they want our borders and our sovereignty. And, and, you know, they actually believe in what Trump is saying about, you know, making our country great again is, is now a crime to the people that are persecuting you. Uh, at the end of the day, we we are all out here saying, where are all the FBI good guys? And here <laughs> yeah. you are an FBI good guy. And and they've demonized you in the media and broke tried to break you. You haven't broken, but they lawfared you. You know this is coming from above. It's coming from that fifth branch, which is the NGOs and the security NGOs, and you know all them Brookings, all these people that write all this oh, yeah. lawfare. Um, that's mm -hmm. what they're doing to you. And I want the American people and everyone watching this to know. We keep asking, where are the good guys? Why aren't the good guys fighting back? Well, one good guy that did fight back is Garrett. And this is what they're doing to them. And I believe they're using you as an example because what you're talking about, because we I get emails from people that want to, and they, they kind of say, well, I can't do that. And I think, and people do sometimes mention your case. So there mm -hmm. is a part of your case that I think is because you took the step maybe of going to Congress and kind of making them look bad, that you're being used as we see this with many other people, including Donald Trump. Uh, as an example for what people shouldn't do. Now, are people in the back? I know, I know. Obviously, Kyle and Steve, I know them well, and I, I'm a huge fan of both of them. Um, and I know they are of you. But are you having other people in the FBI or in law enforcement that you knew coming to you on the back end and being like, "Man, I know this," but but again, st stopping just before actually saying or doing anything? Yeah, there's been a very very small number. Uh, who remain in contact with me. This is actually another part of how insidious this all is. So one of the few people who stayed in contact with me from the very beginning, because this person knew me pretty well. Yeah. And he knew, he's like, I just don't believe what they're saying about you. And I, I told him, I'm like, well, you know me. So yeah. you, you probably know. But he told me that when I was suspended, that they were all ordered, uh, that, well, they were told, don't talk to Mr. Yep. O'Boyle about anything classified. Well, then my division took it a step further and ordered the people I worked with the closest. So my squad in Wichita and the SWAT team. And they were told, don't talk to him at all. Wow. Which I would say is actually a First Amendment violation to them. And it actually really makes me very upset because here you have approximately 25 FBI agents now being told don't speak to him at all. We don't care that it's psychological you... warfare too. They're trying yep. to isolate you. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. And it's, you are, you are on the money oh, when you God. say you're just being made an example of, but it's a shame that these FBI agents don't stand up for their own first amendment, right? You have a right 
to talk to your friend. Yeah, of course, don't talk to me about classified information because they you know, maliciously suspended my security clearance. Okay, fine. I can accept that. I don't care anyways. I don't want to know what secret case you're working on. You shouldn't be telling me anyways. I don't have an, even if I had a clearance, do I have a need to know? But when they tell you, you can't speak to this person just to ice me out even more. Yeah. And I found, so I found out about this after I testified because one of, well, two of the guys I was on the SWAT team with ended up reaching out to me. And, it, and I, so I asked them about it and they're like, yeah, we were ordered not to speak to you. And it's like, that's a first amendment violation right there. Oh and God. yeah, it's so, it's so insidious, but then the other people who I've, who I talk to still, or who have reached out, they know the same type of things me and Kyle and Steve and Marcus and others have seen and reported on, but they just can't get there. And I've been saying it lately this way that I, I think they have Stockholm syndrome because the FBI is just like an, is, is like someone who has, who's taken them captive. And they yeah. know the right thing to do, but they're so afraid to do it because they don't want to end up like us, a suspendable. Right. That's what they're doing to you guys, the suspendables. We we love the suspendables. But I got to tell you, I think that this is uh, this is very, very dangerous for our country and honestly for the world now that we're finding out everything that I've been reporting for four years. But um, a lot of people now are understanding not just that, but that Crossfire Hurricane was based on a lie, a total lie. The Mueller investigation was a lie on top of a lie on a on a investigation they all knew was fraudulent to begin with. Uh, we had these multiple impeachments, all these. There's about 600 people connected to Trump, be it lawyers that went uh, questioned the election to other people that worked for him, to anyone else that have been lawfare, just like you. I think it's all coming from the same place. I think it has something to do with this uh, national security division that was concocted between DHS and uh, and the DOJ and the FBI. But at the end of the day, the American people have lost faith in the FBI. And that is, this is very, very scary and dangerous. And now people are looking into even the origins and a lot of the stuff that goes on there. And what I think is that a lot of these people are, first of all, I, I'm not sure if you follow their ridiculous uh, Twitter feed, but they should <laughs> not be allowed to put out these ridiculous, like laughable, shameful, embarrassing, constant tweets that make them look weak and pathetic and totally captured. Um, you know, the loss of faith in in this in this agency is so massive and they're acting like it's not happening and they're and right. they're putting and they're they're putting it in our faces and then you saw i mean you know this better than anyone they've also how dangerous is it that they've gone full dei and have uh you you auditioned which means you basically physically mentally emotionally in every way went to quantico multiple times to be on special task force uh, apparently a lot of the uh things probably that you even had to pass in terms of um, physical and mental uh and psychological probably training have been suspended to just kind of open up the floodgates. What is happening on that level in your mind, being somebody who watched it from the inside, if we're having, you know, subpar people brought in just to have bodies and check boxes. Yeah. And so, so I think, I think it's, it's intentional in that it's part of this government as God religion that, that I mentioned where this is it, this is, this is the hill to die on for, for government at this point. And yep. every agency, when Joe Biden was elected, one of his very first executive orders was to instill these type of DE, DEI yep. programs in every agency. And so like, like the good totalitarians they are yep. in lockstep, they're doing just that. And I think for a place like the FBI, it's, it's that much worse because what they're, what they're really doing is seeking the new employee who really will just simply do what they're told. 
Yeah, the and Nazi what, would work at the camp and go home at right. the end of the day and have dinner with their family and come back the next day and run the run the ovens. I mean, that there's a real people that did that. It's right. Not, it's not yes. a myth. Right. It's easy to say the Nazis. It's easy to say the FBI. But it's people who are doing these things. Yes. Like one person who I will name whenever I get the chance is Sean Clark. He's he's the name that was provided by the whistleblower. This is public information. People can look this up. He was a supervisory special agent. He was the one presiding over my internal investigation who knew that I didn't do what they said I did, but they came after me anyways. And the whistleblower asked him, would you want to work for a place who's doing this to their people? And he said, we're going to F the mother effer. And so Sean Clark and Dina Perkins and all these other people, they are the FBI. These people have names. They and this guy, this guy, he's retired now. So he's getting in his FBI pension. He's got a new job. And, you know, he's living his his best life, I guess. Meanwhile, targeting people who like me, who who's actually stood up for the constitutional oath that I made. Yeah. But but you're right. Like we gotta name these people. We gotta point right. them out because it's not just a murky oh FBI. Like, yes, it's that, but there are people who are doing these things. Yeah. Now, did you see, um, obviously, especially under the uh, National Security Division uh, that popped up under Holder and Obama and then started with the they really started the uh, pumping of the white supremacist issue being the biggest problem in America and um, the domestic terrorists. I believe that a lot of the uh, January 6 cases are coming out of this clandestine, like no oversight uh, area that is kind of off on its own. That's totally unconstitutional as it is. But um, were you seeing that happening? Were you seeing the, the kind of the uh, the, you know, creating of this narrative that the, the yeah. white man in America was creating all the problems and we had to really look at them. What yep. were you seeing? Were you getting like, were you going to like instructions and classes and things like that, where they're starting to like be like the domestic terrorists, the white national yeah. talk yep. about so that a little in my, I was probably an agent for a year, maybe a little over a year. And I went to uh, even, so initially I was assigned to, uh, international terrorism, but there's not a whole lot of that in Kansas. And actually my first case that kept me super busy was a domestic terrorism case. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then I eventually, I was like, became like the DT body is how we would say it in FBI parlance. So I was a domestic terrorism agent. That's what I was assigned to work. So I was aware of all this stuff. Wow. And one of the things I whistle blew about, so it wasn't white supremacy exactly, but so I didn't have personal experience with like, Oh, there's a ton of white supremacy in Kansas. Right. But be, being in that world, in that DT domestic terrorism world and getting emails and, you know, seeking out right. training and seeking out intelligence products or whatever, like definitely was coming across that type of thing. Uh, but but the way the FBI really pumps the numbers, and this is one of the protective disclosures I made, I had a case and it was all it was on white guys and they were what the FBI would call militia violent extremists. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, this is one case. FBI had me open up four different cases because there were four people who were potentially doing illegal activity. And right wow. from when I first got this case, I was like, why can't I just have one case? Like that makes the most sense. This isn't really four cases. And they're like, well, it's because the DT policy is that you have a case on each subject. So what I was doing, and this is, this is what shows that it was one case, every single report or piece of information that I was going to put in my case file 
-hmm. I literally cut and pasted and put it in all four. And so, right. And so this is how the FBI uh, intentionally manipulates statistics. So now in Wichita, Kansas, the one case I had is inflated 400%. You multiply multiply that across every domestic terrorism agent in the FBI, domestic terrorism is through the roof. And so then, of course, they can say, well, look at all the domestic terrorism we have. The FBI had, you know, however many thousand of cases. And then the influx of the January 6th cases, that's a whole other topic. That case was initially opened in the FBI as an assisting another agency case. And so that was run out of FBI Washington field office. But then they're kicking leads out all across the country. And then they're saying, you open that up as a domestic terrorism case. So now you're the influx of domestic terrorism is even more through the roof. And so then when President Biden gets up in front of the nation and says white supremacy is the biggest threat to America, it's a lie. It's clearly a lie and not the yeah. truth. Right. But he can get up there and he's got a little bit to stand on because he can say, well, just look at the FBI statistics on domestic terrorism, even though not every single FBI case is domestic terrorism case is a white supremacy case you know obviously not but they'll just lump it all together and be like you know j sixers most of them are white right. this militia violent extremism they're all white they probably all are white supremacists too yeah and so then he can get up there and say that and people buy it yeah it's such a lie and uh just this harvard professor came up the past week and a, a black professor who's tenured there and said that they made his life hell he had to get uh, you know, armed guards to protect his family because he came out and he did a study and he said that there wasn't a, a disproportionate amount of black men being killed by by cops and then and that they turned his life upside down and it it was about the narrative it was about right. the narrative that Obama and them started in my opinion with uh, hands up don't shoot or probably Trayvon forward yep. it's really a color revolution model mm-hmm. as you know and I know history uh, this is not very different and and it's so crazy because I mean this must drive you nuts watching this because um, the powers that be and the intel controlled media, they turn everything upside down. So now they're out there saying Trump's going to become a, uh, if he comes back, he's going to be a uh, a, a dictator. He's going to go after his (laughs) political opponents. He's going to weaponize the FBI. He's going to, you know, go at, and I mean, you must be looking at this thinking, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. there's Saul Alinsky 101, but I mean, it is scary how many people actually believe this. Yeah, their 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 rules for radicals playbook, man. They really got that thing down, and they're 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 running it. They're running it perfectly right now because they're gaslighting the whole, you know at least half the country yeah. into into what you were just saying when they are literally doing all of those things. No no political candidate or or I mean it's it's not even just a political candidate. No. Donald Trump was the president. I know no former president has ever been targeted like this. And love him or hate him. Look at what they're doing to him. And if that can happen to a political enemy in America, I mean, that's yeah. a totalitarianism that we're there. We're there. Oh, we're way past that. And uh, and the other thing that's happening, too, is that the American people have no faith in the in the justice system. They have no faith in the DOJ and the FBI. Most people think the CIA is corrupt to the core and it always has been. And um, that's that's uh, and they don't care. I feel like we're at a place where this fifth column that's running our government with the globalist money that is done with America, in my opinion, they, they are into this globalist future. Uh, America can be Venezuela for all they care at this point. They're they're already checked out. And then all the groups that are helping them get there. Um, the scariest part of this is that they don't seem to care at all what the American people think 
at all. Like when I see right. all these things, these get out the boat things and all they've done to try to keep everything that they put in for the COVID and all of that. And I read their language because I go through, I follow the money a lot. And, and I'm telling you, these think tanks and things, they don't believe that the American people deserve a vote at all. I don't think right. that they believe that the American people deserve somebody like you that's going to fight for our rights either. I, I really believe that we are we are way past the point of a totalitarian, technocratic, like top down thing. And we saw it during covid and you were one of the only brave law enforcement people that said that it was wrong to lock us down and it was wrong to force people to take shots into their body, you know, and all of that. And now, as you notice, there's there you know, reversing it as if that didn't happen. And, and right. this is, this is, we can't let that, that's why I'm so glad you're here. And we can't let this happen because, um, they're never going to stop until, no. until they have a reason to stop. And, and there's too many people in America, I think that are scared. Um, I think January 6th was an operation myself, uh, that, uh, was set for something like what happened to you. What they did to you, I believe they did, and because they leaked it to the media way before it was even real, like way before you even knew what was going on, the media knew about it. And to yep. me, that's saying to the FBI agents and law enforcement out there, this will happen to you. But what happened on January 6th, I think, was about all of us. If we dare stand up, and you brought up the FBI group now that is against anti-authoritarian, anti-government, which is our right. <laughs> you know, But um, but January 6th, in my opinion, was to make sure that we never uh, stand up against this this blob that is a government that is in control of everything. What's your take on January 6th now? Um, so I don't know if I'll go so far as to say it was like a, I know there are people who say, oh, the FBI instigated it. Well, I don't uh, know if that's from, true either. Yeah. For, for my view, I would say no, but being an FBI agent at that time, and Kyle Serafin has talked about this too. Yeah. We were canvassed. So every FBI agent, there's a policy that you have to have what the FBI calls a CHS, a confidential human source. It's a CI, a confidential informant. We were camp. The whole FBI was canvassed for CHSs who were going to the NCR, the National Capital Region, at that time. And then after everything happened, we were canvassed again, and we were asked if you had a source there, please let us know because they lost track. And and then when people like Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland get up and testify, they stonewall, they lie, they don't answer questions, right. and they simply say, well, well, I can't discuss that because sources and methods, or I can't discuss that because it's an ongoing investigation. Right, that's their favorite but, but, one, ongoing investigation. Yeah. And you brought yeah. up before but, something important too that people should know about that they might not know. Uh, apparently the DOJ, since uh, since everything was turned uh, kind of clandestine uh, in during the Obama years, they can classify anything. So they can yeah. say that you have classified information or somebody's, and it, it could be nothing. That's what I'm learning when I dug into the um, Donald Trump case uh, is, is the uh, the documents case. You know, what I realized mm -hmm. is that all they have to do is say that it's it's classified. It could just be like right. literally a memo saying nothing. And then they could say, mm -hmm. well, you, you shared classified information and they can even do it after. So, I mean, that's another thing that they were talking about with you. That's just totally, it's, it's a tool. It's not, it's not. Yeah. Right. So this is a, this is another part. And this is not just the FBI. This is this is everywhere. It's an insidious problem with overclassification. And right. I saw it in the FBI. Like I would get emails that were classified at the highest level. And like I'd read the email and I'd be like, why is this classified? Right. Like there's nothing classified in here. But it's because the person who sent it doesn't want it ever to get out. So they just classify it. And it's like, that's not how it's supposed to go. Right. But that's what they do. And then yeah, they. Uh, it's just it's just another insidious problem where yeah. 
Like I've had they, on they people say, too that say that about reasons for national security. If you hear that, yeah. it's probably that oh. somebody in our government broke the law. Right, right. That's that's one of my favorite ones since all this. It's national security. It's like, oh, your national security is so imperative that you can't ever know anything about it. And it's like th- th- this is anti-American at its core. Yeah. Like, yeah. do I think that there are things that need to be classified to actually make our national security stronger? Yeah. Is it? The way it's working now, no. I, in my experience, most of the classified information that I've come across, we would be better off if more Americans knew that stuff. I agree. So true. So true. I always say we're as sick as our secrets in America, and we should go back to JFK forward and just disclose everything, no matter how painful or how hard it is <laughs> to accept that we're wrong. And yeah. just if we know everything, then we can just like an addict as sick as your secrets. If you know everything, you can start to heal. But until America actually uh, stands up and realizes we got a real problem with our government and the problem is that we're allowing it. So what are some solutions that you've come up with in your time? First of all, I just want to tell the audience that this man is still being persecuted. It takes a lot of guts to still come on and say this, but he wants you to know that you're not wrong because what they're trying to do in their demoralization and propaganda campaign and the, the controlling of the I, I call uh, MSNBC is the intelligence uh, news network, um, but certainly CNN too. What they are trying to do is to convince people that what they're seeing and what they're hearing and and people like you and Kyle and Steve, you're, this is an exception to the rule. This isn't what, re- there's you know, the good guys are in charge, which is obviously not true. So if you yeah. were to, um, well, first let me ask you. So you went to testify in front of Congress. Many people saw that. Maybe I'll put a link below to your testimony. Um, if I can pull that up, I want to uh, ask you how that how that process went, because a lot of us are really sick of these hearings and these committee things. And, you know, so many people, Clapper and Brennan come to mind that lied, you know, in their hearing. Fauci lied. It does, so these committee right. hearings and everything like you want to see some resolution. The weaponization of the government is not just dangerous to you guys. It's dangerous to every single American citizen. And maybe right now these Democrats think that they're fine, but they're not fine because as it goes, it's not going to matter. It doesn't right now. So tell me a little bit about your experience with um, actually going and testifying in this committee and, and what came out of it, if anything. Hey, Mel Kay here. Beverly Hills Precious Metals is my preferred choice for gold and silver. Head on over to the Mel Kay Show Partners page and click on the tab for Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Silver and gold are God's money. They're a great way to fight against inflation and keep your hard-earned savings safe. With the national debt out of control, runaway government spending and printing, inflation continues to soar. Beverly Hills Precious Metals can help you shield your wealth from volatility in the markets. Protect yourself today. Go to the MelKShow.com partners page. Click on Beverly Hills Precious Metals. Fill out the form and let's get started. Protect yourself, protect your family, and protect your future. Yeah, so initially I was very hopeful uh, for for it. Obviously, I, it's, it's not something I actually wanted to do. I mean, I like when I w- was whistleblowing as an FBI agent, uh, Congress would ask me on occasion, like, would you testify to this? And I always said, of course, because I looked at it as part of my duty. And then once I get suspended, they asked me again, would you testify to this? And I said, of course. I mean, what what more do I have to lose? I'm suspended forever without pay. Like, of course, I will testify to this truth that I have disclosed. Right. And and so heading heading into that experience, I was I was a lot more hopeful than I am today because I thought. I thought something would have changed. And if anything, like things have only gotten worse, like two weeks or so after I testified, 
Stacy Plaskett and Jerry Nadler referred me criminally to the DOJ for perjury. Um, oh, they are they, the worst. That's unbelievable. This is so yep. awful. Yep. So they took testimony from a woman named Jennifer Moore, who is now retired and has a cush gig with General Electric. But she's the one who suspended me, Kyle, and Steve, and Marcus's um, security clearances. She's oh, the one wow. who signed that letter. Right. And so right before she retired, um, literally the day before she retired. So on June 3rd, she test she was uh participated in a deposition with Republican and Democrat uh staff attorneys. And Plaskett and Nadler based their criminal referral of me off of her testimony, which I would say she actually perjured herself because we know that the FBI knew that I didn't speak to the media. We know that because this whistleblower in November, Jennifer Moore likely knew that. I, I would be hard pressed to to be convinced otherwise. Well, she didn't get so a cushy goes, gig after the FBI by yep. accident. <laughs> yep, not by accident. You're yeah. right. Yeah, that's that's how they they take care of each other. And so she goes and she is deposed and she gives this information and she claims I was so uh such a such a threat to national security there we go even though the fbi hasn't even accused me of leaking anything classified but she says oh we determined he was such a threat that he had to be removed immediately well why did it take them like six seven weeks before they actually removed me then and what about the the fallacy of uh of whistleblower protection because you're not <laughs> i mean i'm talking to dozens and i'm talking all the way yeah. back to the 70s that are still living in fear or in or in, uh, you know, witness protection of some sort or something like that, that were whistleblowers. A good friend of mine all the way back from MK Ultra, still does. So oh, well, wow. what is the story? And and how come Jim Jordan and his group aren't, aren't fighting for you and helping you? I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, it's a good question. I wish I had a good answer for you. Uh, I will say this. Whistleblower protection is a complete myth. Right. Uh, there's a there's federal law on the books, but it it's it's worthless. It, it's it's completely worthless. And you're not because... allowed to make money. Right. Isn't right, that part right. of it? Because my yeah, so friend, the, uh, she wrote a book. She, she's not allowed to make any money. It, it's this whistleblower protection thing. And I think it was changed again under Obama as well, uh, where it's actually you think you're getting protected, but then it holds you back. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a complete joke, Um, because what happens is they like the in the in my case, the FBI says, oh, well, we're not punishing you for being a whistleblower. Right. We're punishing you because somebody made an allegation that you leaked information to the media. And it's like, well, I didn't do that. I gave that information to Congress as a whistleblower. And then they say, uh, those are these are separate. This is a separate matter. And so they just carry on with their lawfare. And they wiped you out financially, so you can't even sue them. And, and yeah, that's well, part thankfully, of it I have, too. Yeah, thankfully, I have great attorneys that are representing me pro bono. Yeah, um, well, they, they were hoping the, that that wouldn't happen. You know, I, I mean, know. that's and, the and, truth. And, and, and most of the time it doesn't. I know. Like I'm I'm blessed in that way because Well, that's because you're totally innocent and you're a great guy and you were doing the right thing and you have a young family and they went after you and destroyed you on purpose. I am grateful for whatever the case may be for the other whistleblower that came out and told you that they were kind of conscripted to do that. But honestly, I really feel like most Americans at this point, Garrett, are looking at the FBI and thinking there must be so many other good guys there, but what is it? Do you think it's it's either you said Stockholm syndrome? Is it also the thing of like I'll just hang in here to my pension? I mean, we, yeah. we really need more of these people, and it's just they. I really do believe that they've used you as an example, especially because you have a young family, and a lot of these agents are probably you know around that age. And it's like it didn't just hurt you; it hurt your 
entire family, your career? I mean, how do you go out and get a job now when uh, when you were you know, decorated, you were a veteran, you won awards, you did this and that, you should be able to work anywhere you want. And they're making all of this is is an entire, to me, it's a scare tactic to others. Oh, for sure. For sure. It absolutely is. Uh, after I testified, a captain at the police department I used to work at, he reached out through a a, 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 f- a friend of mine who still works there to ask me. So this guy, he was an army ranger and he's been in the police department for like 25 years. He's a captain now. He reached out to ask me if I was safe because him as a local law enforcement, as a police officer, is concerned for my safety yep. because I spoke out against the FBI. So when even our local law enforcement yeah are concerned about how corrupt the FBI has become that he thinks they may come to harm me, which honestly, that is something I do worry I about. Know. I, I do think that someday the FBI is going to come and kick my door in at 6 a.m. with a SWAT team. I do think that. Well, there's um, a lot of us, including myself, who worry about that because that's where we are right now. I mean, we can't, but you have to understand how much I, I think way more people uh, not only admire you, but are grateful to you for doing this because there are, uh, what I was told, and I wonder if you know about this, that 700,000 people have been being surveilled, uh, basically, that are in any way connected to Trump. They got, uh, I believe, Jack Smith got a, a search warrant uh, with an NDA from Twitter to get everyone's IP addresses that liked or shared Trump's tweets. I mean, what we are dealing with, like you talk about, it's totalitarian. I hope people fully understand that a full track and trace surveillance nation is not a free nation. And I believe no. that's what's happening. Do you, do you feel that people are being surveilled on the scale I do? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, e- even when I just think of cases I know of from the FBI, where as an FBI agent, you're kind of like, why do we even have this case? And so yeah. not only are you doing digital surveillance, you're doing sometimes physical surveillance on these people. FBI has a case, maybe DHS or ATF or whoever. And then like what you mentioned with Twitter and Jack Smith, that that should be horrifying to everyone that he was allowed to even take a step in that direction, much less get an approval and get an NDA. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's insane. It's insane. And that's not a Trump that that's against. That's us. That's anyone that, I mean, it is so scary that I'm so grateful for what you're doing. I know it's been terrible, um, but honestly, we don't know where this is headed. It's not, I just, I really do. How do you feel in terms of just taking a step back? Cause, cause you can at this point, do you feel like the American people are are far more aware right now than they were maybe even six months ago. I really feel like that it's coming from all sides, be it the border, be it finding out the surveillance, the the ridiculous uh, this judgment this past week in New York oh, yeah. against Donald mm-hmm. Trump. I mean, we are we are way past the point of of you know Marxism, communism tactics that you can't it, anyone that's not seeing is willingly not seeing it. Right, and so yeah, I kind of go back and forth on this because in 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 a way like I'm immersed in this stuff daily as I, as you are you probably are even more than me and so to me it's like front and center all the time so I'm thinking like oh everybody's right. seeing this but then in my day-to-day life I encounter people who seem completely clueless and they're you know they're more wrapped up in Taylor Swift for Taylor and Swift the Super Bowl? And, yeah exactly exactly they're, they're more wrapped up in that. And it's like, they have no clue what's going on behind the scenes. And it's like, I think of, um, oh, he was, I think it was a Roman like philosopher named Juvenal. He said, just give them bread and circuses. circuses. Yeah. And, and they'll be happy. And 
Taylor Swift concerts and Netflix and, you know, NFL games, those, that, those are our circuses. And yeah. I'm not saying like to not do those things ever. I mean, I, most but everyone's now, equally I, in danger. You just happen to be at the top of the spear of, of making an example of you. But I, I firmly believe that everything they're doing to Donald Trump, to you, to Kyle, to Steve, to everyone else, the 800 people that had any connection to Trump or question the election, they've destroyed hundreds of people's lives, including all the January six people. And, and why do people that right now seem to identify with a party that doesn't exist on the left think that it, it can't escalate to them. That's where we are now really is to the, you know, right now, maybe you're not on the, on the, on their radar because they haven't gotten to you yet, but every yeah. American citizen should be equally terrified and horrified and angry. Again, we, it is supposed to be a country by the people for the people. Right. It's certainly is not that anymore. And like, I even think of some of our founding documents, like oh, even right. in, in the preamble to the bill of rights. Yeah. Some of the language used there, if you were to just post that without a reference, FBI probably opened a case on you because you'd be like, what do you mean you're talking about throwing off the shackles of government that because they've gone so far off the deep end that you need a new one? And it's like that type of language is literally in our founding documents. You yeah, know? I think the FBI sent around something that leaked that like uh, the Gadsden flag and the Betsy oh, yeah. Ross flag were, yep. were signs of domestic terrorists. Yes. Yeah. So this is one. Uh, Matt Gates asked me about this when I testified and it's a domestic terrorism symbols guide. And you're right. The Betsy Ross flag, the Gadsden flag. Uh, what else is on there? Um, I think even liking Ashley, like saying anything about Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt. Yep. Just the just the number two and the letter A for your Second Amendment. Right. Um, right. I remember seeing somebody try to decry that as like a fake document. And they were like, we don't even know if this is a real document. And it's like, we do. We do know that because there were whistleblowers like me who verified these things. And it's like, yeah, the FBI has documents like that. And I love when they ask Christopher Ray about it. He says, well, we usually put caveats on on products like that, that we can't uh, investigate people solely for First Amendment activity. And I think of uh, the Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights, when when he's yeah. I forget exactly what he says, but he's like insulting. And the guy's like, you, you can't just say with all due respect and then insult me. And it's like, that's exactly. what Christopher Ray is doing. Exactly. Because Christopher they, they Ray, I don't know how he I don't I don't understand. It's just you watch these guys testify and you just sit there and you think, oh, my God, what happened to you? Where did this, you know, and, and that's where we are. But there's heroes like you out there. So tell me something. Uh, how how's the case going? Is your family OK? I know you you can't really work, which is horrendous. And what they're keeping on you on some kind of suspended status, too. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm just tell my audience what what actually they're putting you through, because I do want people to also know that you have uh, uh, the ability to help him, which you should help him. He is fighting this. And if he gets anywhere in this case, it really is good for the entire country. We need some accountability there. And his case is one of them that may possibly bring that. So we got to make sure that he's OK and can fight the battle. So uh, tell people what's going on and then how they can help you. Yeah, as far as the case goes, honestly, it's such a slow process. And yeah. even that is intentional. Just some of the things oh, yeah. the, F the FBI has filed or asking for extensions. And and it's it, it's part, we, you know, me, Kyle and Steve, we say the process is the punishment. And it certainly yeah. is. And, um, you know, my lawyers asked me recently if I can do this for three more years. And it's like, oh. well, when the when the FBI says 
you can't accept charity. You can't have a job. We're not going to pay you. I mean, I don't know, three, three years is three years might be pushing it, but, um, right now we're committed. We're committed to it. It's about the only thing in my life that seems clear to like move forward, even though it is painful and slow. Um, I don't know what else I would do at this point because it's not like I can go back. Not that I would anyway. Until you but... resolve this case for where you are, also by being a whistleblower and everything you've done. This is, uh, but but you're fighting for all of us. I hope everyone that's watching this understands. We have so few people out there that are doing this, and it really is commendable. But you have four small children. Uh, you have a wife. Mm -hmm. You've had to move back to Wisconsin. Uh, you are not allowed to work. You're not allowed to re make money. You're not certainly not. Uh, you will someday. But I really believe that your battle and your fight is. That's why I said, like, we need to get your story out there because people have to understand there are good guys fighting. It's just if you're purposely not hearing about them. You would think that your case, if there was real journalists out there, would be covered regularly. And what yeah. they're doing with the lawfare is they are they're stretching it out so far that you give up. That's what they want. Yep. And I don't want you to give up. Um, now, are are there ways that people can help you, can help you out? Do you have a website? I know you and your wife have uh, uh, created the clothing line that we want everyone to buy yeah. something today. So tell us yeah. all the ways we can help you keep going because we need your case to get to court and, and get some uh, discovery on the other side. Yeah. Or if we don't get discovery in any of these cases, it's never going to change. And you're one of the only ones that's still fighting. Right. Yeah, that's the big thing is. Man, it could be a big can of worms if we can get to discovery. So, to. Yeah. so it's it's no wonder the FBI is trying to just get the case dismissed. They're even trying to limit how long my attorney's responses can be. And it's like they're crazy. appealing yeah, like to they're the treating judge. you like they're treating Donald Trump. There's no difference to them. You're a threat to them. They need to get rid of you. They're going to wear you down, try to destroy you financially, mentally, in every way, try to get your lawyers to give up. I mean, this is what we're yep. dealing with in America, and I'm not going to let you, and neither is my audience. So tell us yeah. how we can help you. Yeah, so you can go to the-suspendables. Don't forget the, the dash. Otherwise, you'll go to like a hockey podcast. I'll put podcast. a link below, too. Yeah. But yeah, the-suspendables.com. And uh, we're out of these hats that I'm wearing, but uh, you can get a t-shirt like this one. Uh, cool. There's a bunch of other ones on there. Um, different. It, it's it's kind of funny. Like we had this idea. It goes back to when I was a cop uh, of starting like a t-shirt line. And, yeah. and the focus has shifted a little bit because anyway, I don't need to get into all the details, but you can go to the-suspendables.com yeah. and look, look for some suspendables t-shirts or hoodies or sticker packs or we got all sorts of stuff on there and we're always thinking of new ideas. So cool. it's been fun. It's been interesting. Um, hopefully it, it will be more profitable someday, but, but for now it's, it's, you know, it's helping keep us busy, yeah. helping keep us um, committed and helping spread the word too. You know, like we've been getting great reviews and lots of people have come back to buy more shirts and stuff. Cool. So that's good. Okay. Um, I have a sub stack as well that I do, which right. it's, it's free, but you can sign up to pay, be a paid member too, if you want. Right. Uh, which I imagine the FBI would say that that's some violation too, but I do it anyways. I haven't published one in a while, but it's lastline.substack.com. And then uh, Steve Friend and I, we do a podcast yeah. every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday at 12 Eastern called the American Radicals Podcast. Rumble is probably the best place, Rumble and Twitter for that. And then uh, GOB Actual on pretty much every any social platform is is where you can find me. Great. Great. Well, I want to thank you so much. Um, I'm a, a huge fan of you and Kyle and Steve, and you guys are standing for what is right. And we really do need to support Garrett. 
Uh, his case it could be monumental. They're going to try everything they can to not allow that come out. We need to know what's happening on the back end and who exactly is is calling the shots behind the scenes because it is not what it seems. And uh, it's him today, and it could be you tomorrow. So please go to uh, the Dash Suspendables, buy some stuff there, go re register at the Substack. Uh, obviously, I love Kyle and Garrett. They do a podcast, so uh, check that out. Go support there. Follow him on social media, but you, you're always asking me what you can do. What you can do is you can support the people who are actually doing something and putting a lot of skin in the game that they never meant to. Uh, Garrett, thank you so much for being here. I want to remind everyone, um, please go to his site, register for the Substack also, because the censorship uh, situation going into the election season is going to be off the charts. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen, and you want to stay in touch with the people that are telling you the truth and the people that you are rooting for and working for. So uh, go register there. Make sure you register at the Mel K Show for my newsletter and everything else. Follow me at Mel K Show on uh, X, since that's a frontline uh uh, battleground and uh, Garrett will have you back and uh, praying for you and your family and thank you thank you for your service and God bless you for being so brave and strong and uh, fighting for all of us because if we don't get this figured out uh, it's only going to get worse so uh, thank you and God bless you sir thanks Mel from our farms to your family, all organic protein, fruits, vegetables, gut health, immune support, and so much more. We have products for weight loss and collagen and muscle building, products for children, athletic performance, and 30-day programs for just $12 a day. You can save $50 on your first purchase of $75 or more with the code MELKWELLNESS. Go to the MELKSHOW.com partners page and check out MELK Superfoods today. The narrative is falling apart, but as it does, there's so much of this fraudulent disinformation, misinformation, censorship coming from the globalists. And what we need to do is be focused on the facts, cut through everything, be discerning, and get it first and foremost out there to everyone. It is important that you know what is going on. Censorship is getting nuts. You guys know it. There's accounts all over the place that are fake, that are not me. I know you guys send me emails and I really appreciate it. And you report it and it's on Telegram and Instagram and Twitter and they're not me. So I'm super excited to announce We The People with Mel K. Be the first to join. It's a VIP community, just you and me behind a paywall, no trolls, no nothing. We get to know each other. I will give you the facts first. I break a lot of stories a long time before other people. We can talk about past, present, future, history, what we're doing now, solutions for going forward, what 2024 is gonna look like. I'm gonna do breaking news, do a lot of deep dives. I'm gonna bring that information to you guys first in a live Q&A every week. So please click the link below and join me over there. We are going to create a community, a community that is censorship proof, it's cancel proof, it's truth, it's transparency, it's on the road to God, country, justice, everything that we want in one place. This is the most incredible, amazing time to be alive. As hard as it seems and as difficult as the battle has been for you guys and definitely for me, all I know is that we all are part of the solution. We are all involved and invested and you guys have the passion that I have. So let's join together on live Q and A's once a week with me, Mel Kay, we, the people of the United States, taking back this nation. This is so exciting, guys. I've been dying to do this, and we finally got the technology right. So please join me. Click the link below. Can't wait to get started.